Welcome to the Modern Goat Rider Podcast. The opinions expressed by our hosts and guests are strictly their own and do not represent the positions of any lodge, grand lodge, or other branches of the independent order of Odd Fellows. Our conversations will be open to the public for the purposes of inspiring our global membership and promoting the order. And now, let's continue the journey. Welcome to the Modern Goat Rider. I'm Tara Zajac. And I'm Billy Sanderson. And we're here bringing you the second half of a twofer. Of the twofer. The uh, Mountain View Lodge 244 twofer. We didn't even plan that. That worked out real well. It did. Hmm. That's okay. So if you heard our episode previously where we had Jessica and Sinead on the show, uh, we covered how they became members and how they uh, continue to reach out to groups in the community that need the support and the facilities that their hall can give as a way of recruiting but also uh, respecting the the need that's in their community for small groups that are special interest or service groups and they also talked about educating their members in this show we cover Progressive, what I refer to as Progressive FLT, is how that lodge has, what's the word? How they have... Well, how they're nimble when they're kind of taking chunks of, like a group of folks from one particular community group. Yes. And putting them in a lodge. So you're you're smoothing the edges of what might be some unfamiliar territory with how folks normally interact with each other. Right. And in the previous show, they talk a lot about onboarding and bringing people in from an education and the requirements for degrees but this portion of the conversation has been edited out of that first show and put here because it's more about how the lodge is evolving because of these new people coming in yeah and it's i think it's um if your lodge isn't having this conversation already it might be in the near future and it's bit of a juicy topic and it's um i think one that provokes a lot of thought and conversation and we welcome that it's good to not remain stagnant and you're thinking about things and I think you know becoming a bit of a buzzword but diversity and inclusion is is uh, a hot topic these days and for all the right reasons so this plays into that a little bit and how you can again um, welcome new membership and also bring everyone along with you the existing membership and facilitating those conversations to to you know ease any potential um, unknowns and making it all about the FLT. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that bringing along uh, the right expectations for the new members, as well as uh, bringing the traditional or or established members along. And so it has a it has kind of a two part education side to it, but also it's it, it's it's basically advancing the lodge. And and this lodge is a very progressive lodge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so and it, by and by design. And by design, exactly. Yes, yes. Exactly. Uh, so uh, we wanted to mention that you know in the show you're going to hear some things that are talking about advancing and uh, you know continuing traditional values, but advancing 
kind of the goalposts of what can be, what Odd Fellowship can be, what FLT can be. And uh, there's even some things about how they were able to use the democratic mandate of 50 plus one, uh, 50% plus one to uh, help uh, make those advances and then patch and bridge those divides that are created when uh, when 49% uh, didn't get what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we should probably acknowledge too is uh, the date of this recording is from late May. Late May, yeah. And in our wonderful country of Canada, we received shortly after this was recorded um, and then in between the Sinead and Jessica recording and today, uh, the news from Kamloops, British Columbia came through. So Canada has a history of a residential school system, for those who aren't aware, where Indigenous children from... Uh, uh, I might get this wrong, 1831 until 1996, um, were removed from their homes and brought to schools, air quotes, um, religious uh, Christian-based education facilities that uh, were often the sites of pretty horrific trauma, um, including physical, sexual, and mental abuse. Um, and that has been known and, um, for some time. And there was a formal process, Truth and Reconciliation Committee, that has released um, a number of actionable steps from the government to, you know, make some progress on this. And there's a lot of conversation about that process. But um, the, the TRC is on online if anyone's interested. It does. They did have a lot of conversations with folks from different Indigenous communities. So I think it is... Um, a document in fairly good stead across the board, but don't quote me on that and happy to hear opinions otherwise. It's not my area of expertise. Um, but in, in Kamloops um, recently, as per this recording, 215 children were found in a mass grave. Devastatingly sad news, because again, as much as we were aware of the horrors that happened at schools, this really just makes it that much more obscene. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I spoke to, uh, and so this is part of uh, what I've been doing recently in Colombia too, is I spoke to a a leader at a trauma and uh, recovery healing house on the island here that is for Indigenous um, community. And she was a, a, a wonderful resource to help me uh address a request from a lodge member to donate to a uh, residential school survivor society and so i gained a lot of information today and as somebody who is not part of this community uh, i was educated i got a dose of what has is going on at uh, mountain view lodge where the traditionalists who probably knows that there's a world out there that is more progressive, um, is uh, being educated from those that are progressive, like Jessica and Sinead. And in my case, uh, this resource I spoke to today said, we've been hearing about this forever um, because it has been part of their community as a trauma and as a source of 
a lot of uh, emotional and self-inflicted um, damage. But the shock that came from the news of Kamloops really made Canada wake up to this. And we are hopeful that we remain awake mm-hmm. uh, and that there isn't a another new glistening news story that turns our attention away from the need uh, to support uh, the members of the Indigenous community that need to recover. So we just wanted to add this context prior to... Uh, when the show airs, because even the difference between today, which is the 7th of June, um, and when this broadcasts, the situation might evolve further. So we're operating um, with what we know today, and um, maybe some better news down the road. So again, um, thank you for considering this part of the talk. And if you don't know much about it... um, We'll post some resources or feel free to educate yourself because it is something that we think is, is really important and, and really worth uh, our attention and care. It's part of modern goat riding. And it's and it's our present. It's our presence. It yeah. is our present. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, slip over into the conversation with Sinead and Jessica again. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Uh, there won't be an ending to this. So Uh, Enjoy the show, and we hope you join us again for future episodes where we continue to make Oddfellows discoveries. Cheers. Cheers. Um, When I was initiated, Peter Sellers, who was, I think he was... uh, He was Grand Instructor, or was he Grandmaster that year? He was Grandmaster that year. Okay. Um, He gave me his pin. Oh, fancy. But something that... I remember him saying at my initiatory degree is that your lodge is what you make of it. And that if you're really into something and like, like our lodge is really into the theatricality of degrees, then you, you do that. You know, if your lodge is really in, like if a bunch of members of your lodge are like in a rock band, host the rock band, have a rock concert. Uh, he was also involved with, I think he, his home lodge is Yerba Buena, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And they had that. They they like had recruited a bunch of people who were in a band. And so they had shows in their lodge space. And that idea of of being, you know, being there for the community at large, but also bringing your community members to the community at large. And I think that's something we did with the art shows that we started doing pop-up art shows for charity, um, which... Jesse can talk more. We called them triple bottom line events because they provided three different major benefits. First is in our, we did them once a month. Uh, We found that drunk people like to buy art. So they're from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. I'm always present on the shift for the evening because I got my black belt when I was 17 and I'm comfortable escorting large drunk men out of the building if necessary. Um, But since 30% of our sales happen after 9 p.m., it seemed worth it staying open. Um, And so we would have 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, one weekend a month, and we'd invite local artists. They would dedicate at least 10% of their sales to a charity that they would choose, or I would pitch to them and they would say, okay. Um, So in our first year, we were able, artists netted total $5,000. If you cross across all the different artists, Uh, we raised $1,700 for charity because a lot of folks donated a lot more than the 10% we asked. And we recruited, I think, three 
three or four new members, um, not from people who walked in the door, but from artists who showed there and were part of groups that we had been doing outreach to. You know, so yeah, we built our volunteering. We make sure that we're involved in the communities that but we're also upfront about the problems. So like every time we recruit somebody who is a queer person or a younger person or a person of color, we have a serious upfront conversation about like there are members who are who have been members for a long time who will use racial slurs and I will yell them down and we will have a conversation and they will have to stop it. But I've heard them use racial slurs inside the lodge and they don't do them anymore because we had a screaming fight about it, not in the middle of a meeting afterward. But that was, I mean, we have people who insistent, insistently misgender a lot of our members who are non-binary, who are trans, and they just refuse to, even when it's on Zoom with their pronoun, they refuse to keep it right. And the thing is that like, I don't think it's fair to recruit people from vulnerable communities into a lodge space without being upfront about what level of support they'll have. Like, I will have their back. I will raise my hand. I will correct people. I will stop the meeting until people are polite again but they're still going to have to deal with those microaggressions because that's where we're at as a lodge. We're a multi-generational space. And I have the same conversation when people join the lodge who are older and maybe not familiar with like, what does it mean to be Filipina? What does it mean to be trans? And I'm like, this may be a space that there's some discomfort as we all figure out how to talk to each other. And I think that being up front and not just being like, we're a wonderful feminist utopia because we're not at all. Uh, but we, we try. And what I've heard from the members who have joined who are from particularly vulnerable communities is that it matters to them that they know that we have their back. And that, I mean, I can't, I can't even count the number of hours I have spent talking people down out of not quitting the odd fellows after someone has been horrific in a meeting. But that work, that emotional labor of keeping people engaged, making sure they can come to us, figuring out if there's solutions to the problems, figuring out and having those conversations with members who are being hurtful, figuring out how to manage those forms of conflict, I think is the, a key aspect of having a more diverse lodge um, and having a lodge that is more representative of the community. Um, but I don't, when I was younger, I used to talk, when I invite people to groups, I wouldn't talk about the negative aspects and, and it set people up for failure. Um, not letting people know what challenges they're going to face sets them up for failure. And so I try to be really upfront. And as our lodge gets to be a place where more people are fluent and how to be welcoming about different gender norms, we have conversations about what it's going to be like when you start interacting at the state level. We have conversations about what it's going to be like when you go to a district event or if you deal with some national issues. Those are all important conversations to have as part of, and that's an important, and that, that's part of what you budget for emotionally. If you recruit somebody from a vulnerable community, you budget the time to meet with them before the meeting and after the meeting to talk about what's gonna happen and talk about what happened. You budget the time to go out for coffee to talk about it. You budget the time to work together in the garden about it um, because it takes an incredible amount of energy to join a group like this if you're going to suffer microaggressions for an hour and a half every month or twice a month um, or outright aggressions. Um, as we dealt with last year when we had a 90 minute Roberts Rules of Order fight about whether we could put the pride flag on the lodge and we won. And this year when we had that conversation, everyone who voted against it voted for it and the discussion took five minutes. 
But to get it up the first time, it took five months of organizing, Sinead and I calling every single person in the lodge to see what their vote was. And 90 make minutes sure of, they showed up. Make sure they like, showed up. We whipped those votes. We whipped those votes hard and we, we run the traps because we had to. And so then we got it passed. We put them up. And now it's the picture on the front of our website. Now it's the thing that people start to know about our lodge as we're the ones that fly all the flags. You mean and the it, earth did not open up and demons came out and the world came crashing down? It, there was an argument that it was an inherently political statement to discuss orientations. And I finally had to pause and I'm like, I don't want to cause rancor, but you're saying my identity is inherently political. You're saying as a queer woman, discussing my lived reality is unacceptable within a lodge meeting. Is that what we're trying to say in this moment? And it was, that was what, what the person was trying to say in that moment. And we had to talk about it and we've kept working together. And I don't think she forgot how I reacted and I haven't forgotten how she reacted, but we still work together because that's what it means to live in a shared community is to manage conflict and also to see people grow. I mean, the person who pushed that, I, I don't know if they were the sponsor of the resolution this time, but they certainly were one of the first hands up to vote for it for us to put up our pride flag this year. Um, you totally hit, I, w I had it in my notes and then I never got there, but was the, the, as we educate the young, we have to remember to educate older members and also ourselves about how to be more kind and, and more friendly and more loving and more truthful. Mm -hmm. and to recognize other people's truth um and that can be difficult but also um one thing that our lodge did last summer that was an interesting kind of educational event thing is that we essentially took a conflict resolution class mm -hmm. <laughs> that uh which was um because michael was Michael Greensegger was considering doing it at national level and he wanted to test it with a local lodge first. I would say it had mixed results. Yeah. As I think it was very focused on, um, on issues where all of the people involved were of the same status and uh, education, background, et cetera. It didn't deal with like, it's also very focused on communities where consensus is necessary and the and that is a situation where conflict must be buried to achieve the performance of consensus and one of the things i love about the odd fellows is that it's a space where conflict is allowed and managed through the democratic process through robert's rules of order i am fine being outvoted that is a normal part of democratic life and the conflict resolution piece was about how to have a a surface level consensus organization and I find those personally very silencing, but I'm also comfortable with conflict in a way that not everybody is. And a lot of that's my privilege. I'm an upper middle-class white woman and I can handle a certain amount of conflict in a way that's different than what other people can. And I think one thing as that was like just mind blowing for me was realizing that it was the democratic process. The first time I brought, I think it was when I brought the civic education event because Jesse was not yet a member when I brought that we decided we were going to do it together and then I think Jesse this was January 2017 I think we held it yeah. a week after the inauguration mm, yeah it was something like that um and so Jesse had because Jesse is the organization brain of the two of us um Jesse written me out this whole thing 
And I remember being so nervous about presenting it. And one of our members was extremely against it. Absolutely no way. Like people are going to throw rocks at our windows. This is going to be terrible. And when it came to the vote, they voted no. But we had the event anyway, because the democratic process ruled. And that for me was like, boom, what? Wait, people can, in this organization, people can completely disagree with me and vote no. But if I have enough people on my side, like we can do these things. Um, and that that's okay. And that we as odd fellows, you know, we, we have to accept that sometimes what we want isn't gonna go through. And because that is part of being an adult. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, that, you know, just- It's not a popularity contest necessarily. Sometimes it's okay. just how people feel about a thing and it's not about you. Yeah. 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 And, and that was, that was- Yeah, and the, one of the reasons that the older folks are still kind of around is because they can tolerate each other. They've tolerated each other for 25 years. Now, this is me, old white man talking, but the You're new about member, half the age of one of our members. New member. <laughs> I'm a relatively new member, but I I was pretty woke. <laughs> I find that the I find that that is the case that the reason why this tradition is held so strong is that the only people value that tradition are still here. The people who no longer value that tradition hit the road or that there wasn't enough of the new value saying uh, a Torah or a Quran or some other book of worship needs to be in place in here other than this thing that just happens to be 180 years old, like as it came from, you know, Baltimore or something. We're, we're dealing with the democratic opportunity, but when you've never had the numbers, it's always felt like it's a one-way agree yeah. You know, like that's all you had to do. Uh, uh, the, 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 the case of the Rebecca's and Bastion, right? Yeah. All, they stood there and said, well, all we need to do is bring in six more young girls and we can vote these um, established 60 year members. They, they don't have any, they, they can't win a single vote after this. We'll propose it and we'll win it. But instead they said, that's not really fair to those members legacy for 60 years of doing it we will go and we can easily make our own lodge. And so they went and made their own lodge where they could do things their way, mm -hmm. um, which I think is still kind of a novel idea now because we don't pop open lodges here and there. Right. It was 45 years since the previous lodge had been created in, Victoria, in BC. So, well, and a quick note on the, we, our solution to the issue, because we have a multi-faith lodge, like the first person who brought me in is an Orthodox Jewish man. The first person I brought in was a Hindu man. Um, the way we solved it is we just made a standing rule for the lodge that the books on the table were the ones represented by the religion that were represented the religions of the members and any member could bring, could request the lodge to buy a copy of the book that represented their faith. And so we ended up with stuff representing folks who are pagans and who are Jewish and who are Christian and who are Hindu. And that, that was our solution to that problem because it had started, like it had that, you know, that smell in the lodge where there's about to be a screaming fight. And I like, I could, I could you smell talk it, about it. Like we have way more screaming fights than we do. I think that's because I got screamed at for a year of being noble grand. Yeah. Jesse's our tank. 
so so this was one of three quick <laughs> things I wanted to share. One is a video game metaphor that Sinead and I use that I think is really helpful for figuring out how to be engaged in social change. Um, so Sinead plays video games and I don't, but there are generally in a first person shooter video game, there are three roles. You can be healer, you can be tank, and you can be sniper. I'm tank. My job in the Odd Fellows is I show up and I make room. Mm-hmm. I make room by using extreme language. Mm-hmm. I make room by being loud. I make room by doing a lot of physical things and building up social capital. That is my job is I, I make space, which means sometimes people are upset with me because I'm making space that they were previously occupying. Then there's snipers like Sinead comes in with a carefully argued argument, a carefully selected rule, a carefully worded piece and just just takes out some spaces that I've cleared some space for. And then there's Air and Sally who are healers. They come in and make sure people are feeling okay after this big thing has happened. And all of, and like, I'm, I'm healer in my community garden. I'm not tanking my community garden. I don't like having that role in every organization I'm in, but we've decided that that was kind of a, the balance of how we do it. So how I talk in the odd fellows is very different from how I talk in other organizations I'm a part of because this is a role that works. Um, So the other two really quick things. So one is thinking about what role you want to have in that kind of social change. The second is the concept of a ladder of engagement, which we've touched on before, but it's knowing where people are at and ascertaining that and then figuring out what the next step for them is. So you might meet someone and you're like, you just said a racial slur in front of me to refer to a person. Okay, we're at, we're not on the ladder of engagement when it comes to like racial justice. We're not even attempting to be on that ladder. So my goal isn't to get you to talk about like colonialism and imperialism and white supremacy. My goal is to get it so you agree with me that we, or at least you deal with and are willing to consent that we are not going to use racial slurs in our lodge anymore. That is getting on the first step of the ladder of engagement. And then the next step is making sure that not only we're not going to use the language, but we're not going to put it into any bills or we're not going to like bring it in sneakily in ways that like I'm not there. We're not going to use it when I'm not in the room either. And then we like work our way up the ladder of engagement. Um, And that is, I think that's really helpful because a lot of times new activists join groups and get like big mad that everyone isn't perfect, whatever their definition of perfect is. That happens to me all the time when I join groups and people are like, you don't know our very special vernacular. And I'm like, correct, because I'm new here. So you're going to have to, I'm at step number one on the ladder of engagement here and you're going to have to meet me at step one. And if you want me to jump up to step five, you better give me a pogo stick because I need a couple minutes to get there. And I think that humility is really important though, right? Like just because someone comes into your lodge and you're ready a few steps above them in the ladder, we're all in the lower step at some point in some community. Yeah. And that's very relevant, I think. Yeah. And, and, I think- and might and might make some people lower their hackles. Sorry. Well, Sorry. and the last the last thing that I had is about what it means to be a bridge if you choose to be an inter- intergenerational bridge, which means so like Deborah Laverne is an older member of our lodge who is probably the main reason why Sinead and I stick around. Um, Deborah Laverne taught us how to make Robert's Rules of Order work for us. Deborah Laverne brings us little pins from every given event. Deborah Laverne invites us to cool events. Deborah Laverne talks us up to people in our communities so that they know about us before we get there, gives us letters of reference when we need to meet new people. Deborah tells us how to get things done. Deborah served as both of our right supporters, both of it when either of us were Noble Grand. 
because otherwise we have no idea how to deal with some of the more esoteric randomness that shows up in Robert's Rules of Order. And I worked in the legislature in Washington state and I staffed Kamala Harris when she's the attorney general. I'm not bad at Robert's Rules of Order, but sometimes people pull some stuff out that I'm like, holy God, what does that mean? And Deborah is there for us. And so I think Deborah consistently models what it means to be a bridge between multiple generations. And that's something both Sinead and I try and do. And what she does is she consumes our culture. So she like, she watches TikToks and she's on YouTube and she takes community college classes and she engages in the older culture of the other members. She's really active in the Rebecca's. That was her main space. She runs the, the, uh, a row theta row group theta row groups. yeah she does fundraisers at other lodges she participates and volunteers in a lot of structural odd fellows things and so that's the model that Sinead and I are trying to follow where we're very much embedded in our own communities and in our own spaces but we also we show up when there's an event at another lodge we do fundraisers for other lodges goals we talk them up to other people we invite people to the cave degree, which is a really cool, super traditional nerdy Lodfellows fellows thing. And we engage in that culture. And we also engage in like the newsletter that goes out used to be a paper newsletter. It really matters to one of our members that it continues to exist. So both Sinead and I write for it on a regular basis and have, I mean, a lot of months during pandemic, there were three authors in that entire newsletter and all of them were from our lodge because all of us wanted to keep this going for that older member because that's what he cares about is he wants it to exist. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you choose to be a bridge, it means consciously and continuously consuming both cultures, languages and both age groups cultures so that you can actually do that bridge work. And then also it, prepare to experience that tension of when people on other side of your bridges are fighting. And so that's something that Deborah handles really well. Um, and that both Sinead and I are trying to do that because she's role modeled really effectively for us. So again, really quick, the three organizing tips are to decide what kind of role you wanna have and to, uh, sorry, Sinead cracked up at me and now it's hard for me to remember my numbers. But so my three organizing tips are to uh, remember what role you wanna have and try to remember the ladder of engagement um, and to make sure you know how you wanna be a bridge and what that entails. And if you're not up for it, don't try and bridge to the divide, be social support to whoever the bridge in your community is. Um, there doesn't, the entire lodge doesn't need to do bridge work you can also be helpful by being the pylon that holds the bridge up. That is excellent, honorable work to do. And if you're like, I cannot freaking stand another conversation with a bunch of 20 year olds ever again, then don't be the bridge to the 20 year olds, but support the person who's doing that work because then they can have the energy to do it. So those are my three organizing tips for working within a multi-generational lodge. And then I would say my tips for just lodges looking for, you know, looking for how do we how do we engage in education how do we become members of the community how do we reinvigorate new people into our tradition because i feel like if you walk up to any given person and say do you think friendship love and truth are good things do you think friendship love and truth are values that you should hold do you think friendship love and truth are like maybe the ultimate, ultimate destiny of all mankind <laughs> guides to the ultimate destiny of all mankind I, I feel like most people will be like those sound like great values those sound cool but Keep going. the thing is is that as a lodge 
you know, when, when we have members apply to us, we ask them like, what do you think you can bring to the lodge? Which is important, you know, you don't want people being like, well, I really, you know, just want to party. I want to yeah, party. I, a party. I, I know that you have an empty building and I want to party in it. Well, like, we frame it in terms of time, talent, and treasure. Like people don't have to bring money. They don't have to bring time. They can bring talent. If they don't have talent or time, they can bring treasure. Like, so we, we use the three T's. Sorry, keep going. Shanae. But my point is, is that lodges need to think, what do we bring to the community? What do we bring out? Like, what do we bring to our members? Like Jesse talked about how, you know, the, the newsletter that goes out is very important to one of our members. So having a lot of our younger members engage in that is a great way of making that an intergenerational experience that strengthens the ties of the lodge. Using our space to host the writing group, which I think we now have eight members of the lodge who are also tangentially involved in the writing group. You know, so the, the writing group has become part of the lodge and what we as a lodge do. Um, so looking at your community and looking at your members and being open to the idea that lodge activities don't have to be what they've always been. They don't just have to be a potluck once every, you know, blue moon. They don't have to be just membership events. They don't have to be just degrees. This is a community. And, you know, when it was explained to me, like the origins of Oddfellows, the idea was that like your lodge was like where you hung out and you did everything. You know, this would be where these are your drinking buddies, but these are also your friends. And and so thinking about, you know, what would you want to do with your friends in your lodge? Not for meeting, but for like a social time. So we have a lot of members who are interested in the idea of like having a board game night. So host a board game night. Like how do you use what you have to give to your members and your members' interests and by that your broader community. So look at like, cause not every, like we are very, very blessed that our lodge, and this is something that we owe to the older members of our lodge is that mm -hmm. they make investments and we have money that a lot of lodges don't have. We have money and we have a building that we own in an area where if we were going to try and buy a new building would cost probably multi-million dollars. The fact that we have that is amazing. And so how do we utilize that and how do we honor that and how do we keep that going? Because I think that's the thing that Oddfellows is, is currently at is how do you get young younger people, but new people, people from marginalized communities, how do you get them to join an organization? that they have no idea about and also like a fraternal organization because that always makes people think of like hazing rituals in college how do you bring them in and so meet people where they are you know recruit from those communities because that's where they are fish where the fish are fish are where the fish are fish are I, I will just i think billy's gonna wrap up soon but i oh, yeah, i can't i can't um emphasize enough how much I agree with the fact that in Victoria we're similar in that our lodge is downtown it's beautiful and if we're not helping share that gift the community are we really fulfilling some of what our tenants are because it is you know and again if we were trying to going to try to buy that that would be a ridiculous amount of money and and honoring those that came before us that allowed that to happen so not just kind of rolling hot as like younger and being like, eh, 
those tired ideas of those older folks, like, you know, appreciating what was given to us, acknowledging that, building on the really good work that was done, taking the gift of the building, and then how can we continue to move that forward in a meaningful way in the community in whatever evolution um, is needed to accommodate the community and how it is in this particular time. Well, I think one of the things we talk about is how do you decide whether to keep a tradition or to change it? And one of the things that we try and talk about is a tradition is a highly beta tested social ritual, right? If the tradition of going through the degrees is it's, it's a beta tested ritual for building social community and building social ties. So if a ritual, if a tradition was developed for goals we currently share, right? Going through the degrees is something that builds people's relationship with the order. I share those goals. I want people to have a deeper relationship mm-hmm. and understanding and education in the order. Then I stick with that tradition. If the tradition was developed to exclude women, which the Odd Fellows did until 2001, I'm not about that. I don't think it serves the broader goals of the order. If a tradition was developed, like there are some lodges that meet upstairs and don't have an elevator, that's a tradition. And it's an expensive one to fix. It's expensive to add an elevator. It's expensive to add a chair rider. But it's a tradition, maybe meeting in the downstairs area, maybe meeting in a local bar. Like that's that's how I evaluate whether to put my my social energy and my time and my support behind a tradition is whether that tradition was developed and is currently being used to further values that I share. And stuff like maintaining the lodge and recruiting new members and having fun social events, those are highly beta tested approaches to building community. And so I'm happy to engage in them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to bring that critical eye because sometimes we have traditions that are not serving our broader goals. And those are the ones that we have to have those hard conversations about changing. Mm-hmm. So as uh, as the Noble Grand this year, one of my big focuses was, um, you know, because we've been in the pandemic for a year, we haven't been in the lodge for over a year at this point. Um, and our, our building is old and there are things that needed fixed so like badly, like there's an electrical plug that's sparking. Um, and so part of what we focused on this year while we were in this kind of, we can't get out there and reach out and host people is we're working on fixing parts of our building. I believe it's like a $30,000 sort of retrofit of stuff because our building is one of the biggest things we offer our community. And so investing in our building is both investing in ourselves and also investing in all of the communities we support. And and not burning down the Hong Kong bakery next door that shares a wall with us when our stupid plug I mean, sparks yeah, and burns that, us down. That would also be great. And that's something to remember is that even if you are disagreeing with, you know, members uh, who might have a more traditional idea of like, well, we, we stay very insular, et cetera. You do all hopefully share the same like beliefs and goals, friendship, love, and truth, and and reminding them and ourselves, this is where we're coming at this problem from. Remembering like, am I embodying friendship right now? Am I embodying love? Am I embodying truth? And sometimes it's really, really hard to do that. But, you know, remembering those shared goals. And I think also reminding people we're called the odd fellows. We're not called the same fellows. We, so recruit from all walks of life, 
I mean, that was something with the original Oddfellows is that they weren't all people who worked in the same industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that that can be expanded to be, you know, there are people who have all different backgrounds, all different sexualities, all different ethnicities and political views and everything. Just we are here to be a community. And so something that, that we haven't actually mentioned that we're very much looking for, well, I, I say we're looking forward to, it's a little morbid to say I'm looking forward to this, but um, something- It's one of the ways in which our outreach actually ends up circling back to the original purpose of the Odd Fellows, at least in California. Is that after, uh, after we open up again and after things are safe, our Odd Fellows Lodge has decided that we're going to open up to the community if people need a space to host memorials for COVID victims, you know, a lot of people have lost people in the last year and haven't had a space or a time to be able to mourn well. And so we're going back to our tradition of literally helping people bury the dead mm -hmm. because it's something that our community needs and that the odd fellows was designed to solve as a mm -hmm. problem. Mm -hmm. And I, I would definitely suggest that all lodges look to their communities and think about this. This is part of our original, you know, our, our, we bury the dead. That is what we do. That is part of our core, like duty that we're called to. And so, you know, we've talked a lot today about opening up to the community, be what your community needs. Right now, a lot of people just need a space where they can mourn. Yeah. <laughs> and a space that where they can mourn that doesn't cost them like $500, $5,000, you know, a space where they can have it be closed or open. And that is, and as a lodge, it's something we've considered and it's, there's emotional labor in that. All of our members have considered, you know, being around people who are in pain is emotionally taxing. And so we've worked on ideas of like, having a roster of like people don't do two of them in a row. It's, it's all very theoretical right now because we haven't opened up yet, but this was something that Jesse worked on. And this was part of the outreach committee because Jesse asked for like a, um, Jesse sent out a survey of like, what do you think it means to bury the dead today? And so one of those things is burying dead names, you know, for our trans and non-binary members honoring their their journey and honoring their whatever name they pick that is part of burying the dead that is part of our mission and also part of what came out of that is another thing about burying the dead is giving people a space for mourning giving people a space especially you know it, it was something jesse said earlier earlier was that not not today but um at a meeting a few months ago was that yeah. We never had to think about what it meant to bury the dead in our modern era because we hadn't had something like, I mean, especially because we're, you know, privileged. We live in America. We don't, you know, have people dying outside our door. And then suddenly a pandemic hit. And suddenly we needed the traditions that we had kept and that they weren't causing harm, but they weren't, it wasn't super clear what the benefit was of orienting ourselves around that identity, but we kept it because it wasn't a tradition that was causing harm. It was a neutral tradition, but now it's an incredibly positive tradition that allows us to serve our community. All right, Jessica, Sinead, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to chat with us. We um, will, we'll do some, quick edits and we'll uh, probably put together a really nice two-parter for everyone to uh, to indulge because we covered a lot. 
So thanks very much. Thank you so much for your time and for your work connecting the global Odd Fellows community through this podcast. That's fun. Thank you very much. It was yeah, fun. Thank you for your patience. I, I know um, Jesse and I can be a lot. Can be a lot. I like the no, dynamic but, duo. Yeah. I mean, you'll have to leave at the same time. Yeah. Or I don't know what. I don't know what will happen. Symbiosis <laughs> of sorts. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Take care, guys. Bye. Thank you Bye. so much for having Bye. us. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye.